This is Grace Cho, founder and CEO of Entrepreneur. Today, we have Annette Green, a legend in the fragrance industry. I believe, Annette, you define the word trailblazer. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And I'm going to read a quote that you recently got from Jenny B. Fine, who's the executive editor of Women's Wear Daily. She says, Annette is an icon of the world of scent, gaining the trust of all the giant and colorful, to say the least, personalities and characters that inhabited the industry, is a testament to her strength of character, purpose of mission, and above all, love of the fragrance world. That is a lovely quote. It is. So, Annette, please tell us about your early life. Well, I was born accidentally in Philadelphia. <laughs> and <laughs> because my mother, actually my family lived in Atlantic City, and she came to Philadelphia to shop at Wanamaker's in her ninth month. And in the perfume department, her water bag broke. <gasps> wow. Amazing. So after being born, we went back to Atlantic City, lived there for a while. But basically, I, I'm a New Jersey girl up till getting out of the high school. I only wanted to live in New York. That was always my dream. Uh, so you went to school in New Jersey? Well, I, yes, up until college. I went to NYU a School of Journalism uh, at night when I came to New York. I, was, I wanted to be a journalist, actually, originally. So tell us how you got into the fragrance industry. Well, it, it's a funny story. I wanted to work for Harper's Bazaar. So I went to Hearst uh, for uh, an editorial job. And the only opening they had was on a trade magazine called American Druggist. And I said, well, I'm really not interested in working for American Druggist. And they said, well, take the job. And when there's an opening on Bazaar, we'll move you over. So I said, okay. I went into the magazine and worked for two incredibly wonderful men and was the editorial assistant to one of them. And uh, it was just the time in the 50s when the teenager was becoming a cosmetic customer of the drugstore. And I was closest in age that they gave me a column to write to the druggist telling him how to sell to teenagers. And I went to my local druggist in Newark. And I said, can I work here on the weekends? Because I, I don't know what teenagers are doing, and I'd love to have a better fix on it. And he said, yes. So I started to realize, as I sold product to teenagers, that it was much more interesting in a way for me, psychologically, as to why people buy fragrance that no one could see on them, and why makeup is so important, et cetera that this was, for me, more interesting than fashion. And I decided to switch directions and go to work for a few companies uh, that were in the cosmetic area. The first one was a company called Richard Hudnut DuBarry, which at the time in the 50s was like Arden and Rubenstein. It was a quite an important company. They had a salon on Fifth Avenue. And I was hired to uh, write sales training materials for the sales girl which was a great opportunity because I learned how to tell a sales girl how to sell. Mm. And I learned all about product uh, ingredients and what it takes to really make a, a successful uh, sell to the consumer. And then I got an offer to work at uh, McFadden Publications. I was the book reviewer. I was the movie critic. I was the fashion editor. And I was also the beauty editor. And then I got a call out of the blue from Scripps Howard that they were looking for an assistant woman's page editor. 
And I said, yes, yes, I'll take it. <laughs> and I interviewed Sinatra and Ezio Pinza, who was doing South Pacific at the time. I was doing really great things. One day, I got a telephone call from a man who I had worked for at Richard Hudnut. He said, I, I'm now president of a perfume company called Lanthery, which is a, was a very fine, small French uh, perfume company at the time. And he said, I think I'd like you to be my PR person. I said, well, I never did it. I don't know that I can do it. He said, you'll find out. I have total faith in you. So I called all my buddies in PR, and uh, I went in to be his PR person. He loved promotions. He loved celebrities. He taught me and encouraged me, reach out to Marlene or reach out to Judy. Uh, whatever it was, we were having these parties all the time. And I learned a lot from him. And then Squibb bought Lanthorique. And I, I just went along with the buy. And uh, then Olin Matheson mm -hmm. bought the Lanthorique from Squibb. And I just, I never really looked for another job. I just kept being moved along with these purchases, these acquisitions by these companies. But they, but I had to work on Winchester guns and polyethylene and roller skates as well as perfume. And I was really settling down into that. So everybody had told me, you know, you should open your own agency. You know, people would definitely give you business, blah, blah, blah. So I thought, why not? I, so I started a Net Green Associates and, uh, a lot of people recommended me right away, and I started to do pretty well. And one day I got a call from the same gentleman who had made me his public relations director's name was Jack Moore, and he became my ongoing mentor. Said to me, He left a message with my office that I had to come to the Waldorf immediately because they were meeting once whether or not the Fragrance Foundation should be closed mm -hmm. down. So I ran across Park Avenue, grabbed a cab, went up to the Waldorf, and there they sat and told me they had no money, but they had all the files. <laughs> Would I be willing to take it on pro bono? And I thought about it, and I thought, well, why not? You know, I, I'm doing well, and uh, I love fragrance, and I, loved the, I thought the Fragrance Foundation was a terrific idea. So I took it in. It only took me 10 years to turn it around. Wow. Exactly. But then it took over my life. And that's how I got into the fragrance industry. And, and when I took over the foundation, American women did not wear fragrance because they didn't work. Is that right? And it was just in the uh, 60s that everything changed. Amazing. So how were you received as a woman leading the charge of all these major projects? Well, I have to tell you, not, not too well, not too well. The day that like a week later after they had hired me pro bono, we had a meeting and I'm small, I'm about five, three and a half. And I was with these very tall men talking over my head. And one said to the other, well, what are, what are we going to do with her? What is she going to do? And one of the men said, don't worry. She's a nice little lady. And I pulled myself up to my full five, three and a half. And I said, I am not a nice little lady. I'm a serious businesswoman. And I expect you to take me as I am. You don't know what to do. I don't know what to do, but you've given me the charge and you have to let me do it. And they backed off of it. But it, I had a really hard time convincing people to support me. Right. With a journalist background, you have mastered both the business side as well as the creative side of running a business. How did that come about? That was my, my extra <laughs> bonus in life. 
I had this innate business sense, uh, which I got really from my family, my uncles, who had a very, very big business in New Jersey. And, you know, I was in the room listening to them and hearing how, seeing how successful they were. But on the other hand, I was also very creative. I not only could write, I liked to paint and draw and write poetry, etc. So I had both of these. And I was encouraged by teachers and my mother uh, to do whatever it was that I felt I should do. During the Second World War, I worked for the Signal Corps. I was a secretary. They had some big award. They wanted somebody to write a song. And I wrote one and I won the award. And so those things happened to me a lot. You know, when you when you start to be successful, you take on more and more opportunities because you feel you can do them. Mm-hmm. Besides the innate skill, it seems that you make the effort that if you don't understand it, you go out and seek the advice of others or other experts. That is true. How have you dealt with the social media, the technology, the iPhone, and all of that in the business today? Well, when I retired, which was in 2003, I had people working for me who did everything. They did the computer. They did everything. I didn't do anything. But I thought to myself, you know, if you're going to be able to move forward in life, you better go take lessons in how the computer works. So I went to Baruch College at night and took their computer course. I was in a class with, you know, all young people, but I mean, that's okay with me. That didn't bother me in the least. So I learned that. And then I got into, you know, I had to have a cell phone. So I, I learned how to do that. And I always was a very good typist because I was a secretary. So in fact, I was a master at typing. And so that played into my, as an advantage. And uh, social media is still a little bit of a mystery to me, but I'm learning it. Wonderful. This is just an inspiration to us all. uh, You know, you just never stop learning. Well, you know, I have friends who simply won't. I have a friend who was the president of Chanel at one point, and she's not on the computer. She does not have a cell phone. She's not interested. And I see her getting very isolated and elderly because she's not part of the, this current yes. world. I wouldn't want to be that. I wouldn't want to do no, that. No, I agree. And, you know, I started this curriculum at, at FIT, Fashion Institute of Technology. Yes, tell us about that. Yeah, well, I went, you know, I got thinking about very, there was no professionalism to entering the industry for particularly young women. Most people got into the industry, including me, by accident or just, you know, to seem like a good idea because it was an opportunity. So I went to FIT, and there was a wonderful woman at the time named Shirley Goodman, who was the head of uh, their, their foundation, wonderful woman. I knew her because I was on one of her committees. And I said, you know, you really would be wonderful to have a, a course on marketing, how people market fragrance and beauty products. So she said, listen, the Fashion Institute of Technology about fashion. So I said, well, I have to tell you that the world, that word of fashion is changing completely. And it has to do with cosmetics. It has to do with automobiles. It has to do with toys. Everything is in or out of fashion. And I think you should look at it that way. So after much discussion, she said to me, well, okay, if you want to teach it, you could teach it. you know, sort of as a elective every Thursday afternoon. So that's another time I said yes. (laughs) And so I came in every Thursday afternoon and I started to teach this course. And slowly but surely, the word got out through the hallowed halls of FIT that you didn't have to be a fashion designer 
to do well at FIT, there was now a beauty course that could take you quite far. And it was a very successful, a lot more and more young people came into it to the extent that they decided to make it a bachelor's program. Wow. And I got someone for them to teach it. And now it's bachelor's and master's. So it's been quite wonderful. And I'm happy to tell you, they just let me know that the Spritzing to Success has been named uh, as a must-read uh, for, the, for the class. I love that. And then that is a wonderful segue to the book. Yes. How did you get started with the book? First of all, I love the title. Did you come up with the title? Well, it was hard. I, I played with a lot of titles. One was The first one was Perfume in My Veins. But Oh, I adore it. So wonderful. Oh, I'm so glad. Well, I just, you know, was, everybody kept asking me about the history of the industry and what, what did I do and how did I do it and what was the story. And I figured, you know, I have to write this because particularly in relation to young people who are coming into the industry today, haven't got a clue. It's like today you ask young people about President Kennedy and they have no idea who President Kennedy was. I mean, it's kind of dispiriting. So at any rate, I, I think maybe I'll, I'll write about this. And that's what, and so I started, it took me three years to do it. Three years. It's a treasure because it, uh, it maps your career. It maps the industry. And, and, and you learn so much from it that are timeless lessons. And, yeah, and I also tried to bring it into, you know, today's world of the challenges of, of the robots and, you know, all the ch social media, everything that's going on that's changing how we work and how we really try to make our way in the world. And you, it took you three years to write, and now it's winning a lot of accolades. Yes, it is. What's been the feedback as far as how the message of the book impacted them? Well, I've gotten some wonderful feedback. Just even I, I made a, a talk the other day to there's a company called International Flavors and Fragrances, and uh, I was invited to come in and talk about the book and talk about careers in the industry. And they, they were asked at the end of the talk to write what they felt they got out of the talk. And one of the girls wrote and said that she came in very stressed and feeling, you know, that her day was really going downhill. And she said, after my talk, she felt relaxed and very positive and inspired. And of course, that was just wonderful. I've had young people come up to me, particularly at FIT, and also on the West Coast at Fashion Institute of Design and Merchandising, where there's an Annette Green Perfume Museum. And I went out there about a month or two ago. And the young people all came up to me, and, and people of all ages, and said they just, they just loved it, that it was inspirational. And I, I only got, I have gotten positive feedback, which is very, very lovely. So when you were writing the book and you look back on your life, were there any sort of personal realizations that were a surprise? Well, I mean, I never expected uh, to have such a success in the fragrance industry. I was, uh, I was working on my agency. I was building the agency. I took uh, the Fragrance Foundation in as an orphan. And uh, I, was, I wanted to try to resurrect it, but I never in a million years thought that I would be able to build it as I did and that it would become so successful that I'd give up my agency. That never crossed my mind. So that was a very big surprise to me, but I could see it happening. You know, everything that I did, plus women going to work, 
plus a lot of the pharmaceutical companies like Squibb and American Cyanamid buying the French houses. I mean, all the things that were happening were just fitting my needs to a T. I took advantage of every single thing that was changing the fragrance industry. And eventually, hard as it was, I got the industry to come along with me. But the thing that really changed it was when I thought of the Fifi Awards. I mean, that was really a major step. It was what I call a game changer. And the industry really went, not in the beginning, the first couple of years, it was limping along. But then when I brought celebrities into the act, and it was a very interesting time because celebrities were starting to look at fragrance as a possible product for them to put their names on. And I took advantage of that by calling the agents and saying, if you'll let your so-and-so, Elizabeth Taylor, whoever, come and present the awards, they're going to be in front of the most important audience they could ever be in since they want to introduce a fragrance in their name. And I never got to know. It's incredible. Having celebrities, making it more and more glamorous, established the awards in Paris, in Italy, and uh, Spain, and of course the UK. It just grew so dramatically and became such an important part of the industry that everybody started to support it. And that made my future (laughs) very solidly established. Now think about that today. Uh, you you invented that concept of attaching a celebrity to a fragrance or to any product, really. Everything is endorsed. Right. But you know what else I did? I, I, I was very interested in promoting fragrance as an art form because the creation of fragrance is certainly an art form and packaging and design. And so I started to have exhibitions in museums across the country. And the first one I had was at the Museum of the City of New York It was called Sense of Time, Sense being S-C-E-N-T-S. And it was very successful. And then I traveled it to Washington, the Women's Museum in Washington, to Chicago, to Los Angeles, and then to Dallas. And uh, it was the beginning of a, a lot of exhibitions that I undertook. Because it was your passion. If you were to speak to a group of young artists, what would be the advice that you give them today? I would say if you want to have a fulfilling business life, you have to fall in love with whatever it is you feel you're talented in, you know, whether it's business or selling or marketing, merchandising, whatever it is, fall in love with it. And then it's never work and you'll always enjoy doing it and you'll be successful. You can't miss. Well, Annette, it's been a great pleasure and a thrill to speak with you today. And I hope you come back and we can talk to you more about your next project. Absolutely. And I appreciate so much your wanting to chat with me. I I really uh, have enjoyed it. Wonderful. Today we spoke with Annette Green, author of Spritzing for Success, an icon, a legend, a trailblazer in the fragrance industry. This is Grace Cho, entrepreneur, We help creative succeed. Thank you.